Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's focus for Friday, March the 3rd, 2023, at 10:59 a.m. Central Time. Now, typically, I'm supposed to say today's focus is, and I'm supposed to tell you what today's focus really is all about, but I'm not going to introduce today's focus episode that way. I'm I'm going to approach this in a different way. So I want you to imagine the following scenario, all right? You have your phone, you have your computer, you have your iPad, you sit down, you're like, you know what? I'm going to visit some Christian websites today, and I'm just going to start reading articles. I'm going to read some Christian news articles, some devotional articles. I'm just going to start reading some different things on Christian websites. And you, maybe you've got a cup of coffee. Maybe you've got your phone, your iPad. Maybe you have your Bible out. Maybe you even have a notebook and a pencil because you're really, really spiritual, right? And you're like, and you start looking around and and you're like, oh, this article looks interesting. And you start reading the article and you read these words. I need you to listen carefully. Christian website. You read these words. And I quote, sex wasn't designed to be your salvation, but to point you to the one who is. You're reading a Christian website. You're reading an article on a Christian website, and you read these words. Sex wasn't designed to be your salvation, but to point you to the one who is. Now, if you read that, how do you react? Do you go, wow, this is, this is profound. I haven't really thought about this way. Does this, does this need to change my view on sex? Does this need to change my view? Like, do you start like thinking that this is a really profound point that you really need to think about and it may change your perspective on everything from sex to salvation? Or do you read that going, Oh my goodness, can you believe they just said this? They just they just pointed said sex points to Jesus. Like that like no 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 that 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 can't be true. And do you get offended and then do you take off to social media to spread and speak and share your outrage and that you you can't believe this and that this Christian website has now just basically turned into absolute trash and you're mad and you're frustrated? Do you go on YouTube and start making videos because you're so upset that this Christian website would literally have the audacity to say, sex wasn't designed to be your salvation, but to point you to the one who is? How would you respond to that? Now, I saw the original article. And when I saw the original article, I was like, well, do I do a broadcast about it? Do I? I don't know. I I think I saved it in my notes. Like I always have like, you know, a hundred things that I want to do broadcast about. And look, sometimes it's just my own fault that I don't manage my time very well. That's on me, right? Because I could probably say, you know what? Today, I'm going to dedicate four hours to just live broadcasting. I probably need to get better at just doing that, right? But a lot of times I'll do one or two broadcasts and I'll just feel like, you know what? 
I'm done for, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I'm constantly debating with myself how to, how to accomplish more for the podcast. But I saw the original article and I thought, well, that's an interesting title. I haven't even given you the title yet. I'll re- I'll give it to you in a minute. But, uh, and I read, and I remember reading that statement going, okay, well, there's a lot of different, and I started thinking, what are the different ways I could approach this article? Could I, could I go this way? Could I, and I just started thinking about it, but I, I just kind of like, I didn't, when I did, when I saw the, the article, I didn't go, oh, wow, controversy. This is scandalous. I better get to the microphone immediately. Breaking news. Christian website just publishes the most, um, you know, outrageous thing that's been seen in the last 30 years. I just kind of went, oh, okay, whatever. And moved on. <laughs> the next thing I know, oh boy, people are upset everywhere. Can you believe? Can, did you see that sex article? Did you see that that supposedly sex points you to Jesus? This is a this is ridiculous. This, can you can you can you believe this? And I'm like, whoa, what? Everyone, calm down. And then as the emails started rolling in, did you see it? Did you see it? Did you see it? And I'm like, did I see what? In fact, I got an email today. Now, this is from churchleaders.com, churchleaders.com. I received an email from churchleaders.com, and here is the headline that they gave the article. Are you ready? Now, this is an article written about the article that I just quoted from, this line about, hey, you know, sex isn't your salvation, but it points you to the one who is. Um, this is an article about that article that sparked all of this controversy, but I want you to just see kind of the controversy right now that's going on. All right, here we go. TGC, oh boy, TGC, the Gospel Coalition. So now we know that the original article comes from the Gospel Coalition, all right? They're the ones who wrote the original article. I'm going to give you the information about the original article in just a minute. Right now, I just want you to see the controversy that has arisen over the original article that I didn't really think was that big of a deal. And obviously, I was wrong. I should have jumped on it immediately because I could have been at the forefront of this outrage. Now, again, the outrage will only last, you know, 15 minutes and everyone will move on to another outrage and then 15 and then everyone will be outraged about something else. But that's, you know, that's the way it works. And I understand the way why it works that way. Look, I do understand and we just we we have to at least take a minute and, and and realize this social media podcasting and the same was true of blogs when blogs were the big deal they all it all thrives on controversy it all thrives on outrage right and just because a lot of people are upset about it on social media or on certain article blogs or or podcast doesn't mean it's the biggest deal in the world, but I understand when you have to turn on the microphone hour after hour, or you feel like you're going to be on social media posting things all day, well, you're going to go to that which creates the most controversy and outrage because it's going to get the most clicks, the most downloads, the most streams, and the most listens. It's the way it works. So a lot of people, they look for that outrage. They look for that because if they can if they can if they can be a right there in the middle of the outrage and the controversy it it improves how many people listen to your program but then you spend your life chasing that chasing that and and social media just keeps you in a perpetual cycle of outrage and panic and fear and paranoia and 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 it's all so damaging i try my best to try to figure out when do i step into the the little world of controversy address it but i try to get out of it as soon as possible 
That's why, again, we do the Bible study exercise so that, that I can, I'm forced to step back out of that world to say, hey, this week we're working on John chapter four. And so, or do a devotional message. I try to find the balance. I haven't figured it out how to do it perfectly because sometimes it, I look, sometimes I know if I would turn on my microphone and deal with controversy a lot, I could, I could probably increase my audience by 100% within minutes, probably within a couple of hours. All you got to do is figure out, you got to be right at the, it's like wherever the controversy is, you got to find it early, right? And then you want to you wanna make sure you uh, create a program. You want to make sure you, the controversy is clearly in your title. And then the downloads will follow the trend. Because if you're right at the beginning of a controversy or outrage, as the outrage and controversy grows, so are your downloads and streams because people will be looking for information in regards to that controversy. But I don't want to play that game. So, so in this case, I, maybe I should, maybe I, at first, I did not see that this was going to be controversial. And second, maybe I didn't want to be a part of the controversy, but here I am today having to be about the controversy because, well, I think we have to at least address this to see, is it really that controversial? That's really the question I'm going to ask. Is it really that controversial? But let's, let's dig into this and then it will all make sense. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, there's so much we could talk about how the world operates here. Even news media operates under the same principle. Controversy, controversy, outrage, panic, fear. But, all right, that's, 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 that, that's free of charge. All right, here we go. So, the Gospel Coalition is under fire. Uh-oh, they're under fire. Controversy. For an article comparing Christ's love to a sexual encounter. Now, the way they are describing the original article is that it compares Christ's love to a sexual encounter and people are outraged. Now, right underneath this, <laughs> it's somewhat funny because right underneath their, their title, right? The Gospel Coalition under fire for an article comparing Christ's love to a sexual encounter. Right underneath that is this photograph of a man and a woman standing on top of a mountain where the sun is, I think, is either setting or getting ready to rise. You can barely see it. So it's darkness, and then you can just see the beginnings of the sun starting to come up. And then the husband, I don't know if they're husband or wife, the man and the woman are clearly embracing one another, kissing one another. So they have this like, ooh, see, sex, sex. They're going to they're, they're have sex. It's almost, and, and wait, the, the Gospel Coalition is going to take this act and compare it to Christ's love, or going to compare Christ's love to this act, it's really kind of, to me, even the whole, with the photograph and everything, seems to me a little sensational. But you, you can draw your own conclusion. Maybe, maybe that's being too judgmental. It's just, I look at the photograph, I'm like, come on, come on now. But all right, let, let's, let's see what happens here. So the Gospel Coalition is under fire for an article comparing Christ's love to a sexual encounter. An article recently published by the Gospel Coalition's newly formed Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics has been the subject of considerable criticism for its description of sex as a metaphor for the salvific relationship between Christ and the church. So there, there's strong criticism thrown at them because supposedly 
They, they, for they basically describe sex as a metaphor for the salvific relationship between Christ and the church. Now, can you think of any biblical language that would kind of say, no, there, there, there would be something to this. The sexual union is somehow a picture uh, or a metaphor for the salvific relationship between Christ and the church or between Christ's relationship to the church. Do you think that's fair? Do you think that's not biblical? Do you think it's ungodly? Do you think it's blasphemous? Let's read a little, a little bit more here. The article titled, and here's the original article now. Here's the original article. Sex won't save you, but it points you, it points to the one who will. So the name of the original article, and if you go to the Gospel Coalition website, you should be able to find it. Sex won't save you, but it points to the one who will. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up the Gospel Coalition. I think that's the uh I don't know how I ended up on a Mormon website. Okay. If you go to the gospelcoalition.org, the gospelcoalition.org, the gospel coalition is all run together. The gospelcoalition.org, all run together. And when you come to the website, wow, you can't even find it now. Okay. Um, Where is it? Where? Okay, hang on. Most read. Okay. Uh, I guess they may. It sounds like. Okay, maybe they maybe they removed the original article. Hang on, I'm going to go back here. I'm going to look at something. Did they did they remove the original article? This has got a hyperlink. Okay, this is what okay, this is what happens. Now, now there's an article called Beautiful. Okay, if you go to the Gospel Coalition and you go down, I think to Most Read, you'll see something called Beautiful Union Book. And then it says, we recognize that an, an adapted excerpt from Josh Butler's forthcoming book, Beautiful Union, lacked sufficient context to be helpful in this format. The excerpt was taken from the first chapter of Beautiful Union, and you can download and read the entire introduction and first chapter here. So obviously the criticism, they pulled down the original article, it's gone, and instead they're like, hey, hey, it didn't have sufficient context here is the, we kind of took this article and it was an excerpt from this coming book called Beautiful Union. Now you can hear as a link so you can read the first chapter. So they've taken down the original article, which is really disappointing to me. Uh, there's probably a way to find the original article. If we can find the original article, I would, I'm, I'm, I'll try to see if we can find it. If we can find the original article, I almost want to convert it to a PDF file and then make it available to everyone so that you can read the original article that sparked all of the controversy. Now, I've already given you the line that everyone keeps quoting, but I think that I, I wish they would have said, look, here's the original article. Here's kind of our like, hey, look, it, we don't believe this has sufficient context. Here's the context. But we're going to leave the original article. But I, obviously the criticism was loud enough or, or sufficient enough to get their attention and they pulled it down. I'm not a fan of that. All right, but here we go. Here's a little of the information. The article titled Sex Won't Save You, But It Points to the One Who Will was written by Keller Center Fellow 
Josh Butler, an Arizona pastor and author. The article is an excerpt from Butler's forthcoming book, Beautiful Union, How God's Vision for Sex Points Us to the Good, Unlocks the True, and Sort of Explains Everything. So God has a vision for sex, and it points us to good, unlocks the true, and really kind of explains everything. So I guess God's vision for sex explains everything. All right, so I'm not I'm not so sure what I think about the book because I haven't read it. So I could not make a, a, a an honest critique of the book. But supposedly the article was an excerpt from the book. They believe it lacks sufficient context. Now, after the criticism, they pulled the article. And now if you go to the Gospel Coalition, you can read the first chapter of this book so that you'll supposedly get the full context. All right, they go on. Here we go. In the excerpt, Butler argues that while many within the current cultural climate look to sex for salvation, idolizing sex results in slavery. Right, so we should not idolize sex. That will lead to slavery. However, sex wasn't designed to be your salvation, but it was designed to point you to the one who is Butler writes. Just now, this they go on describing sex as an icon of Christ and the church. Butler cites Ephesians 5, 31 through 32, in which the Apostle Paul refers to marriage as a pro, as profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. I'm not only the giving, it's not only the giving of your vows at the altar. But what happens in the honeymoon suite afterwards that speaks to the life you were made for with God, Butler argues. This is a gospel bombshell. Now, this, this is, I guess, supposedly from the art, the original article and I maybe from the book. All right, here we go. I'm going to, I'm going to read this whole paragraph again. I want you to listen to this paragraph carefully, right? Thinking caps on. Here we go. It's not only the giving of your vows at the altar, but what happens in the honeymoon suite afterwards that speaks to the life you were made for with God. Butler argues this is a gospel bombshell. Sex is an icon of salvation. Butler goes on to describe the man's role in the sexual act as one of generosity and the woman's role as one of hospitality. Okay, I can see why this may create a little bit of controversy. Now, I think I think what this I think what this is going to lead us to do is we have to really then consider Ephesians 5:31 through 32 and see how far we take that. And, and where do we need to stop? In fact, let's just read Ephesians 5, 31 through 32 really quickly. Let's, let's go through this. Because I want to have, I'm trying to have the most even-handed, fair handling of said controversy as I can. All right. So Ephesians 5, verse 31. All right. Ephesians 5, verse 31. For this cause... Shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and the two shall be one flesh. The next verse. This 
is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So, what I think what he's attempting to do is that, hey, you're going to leave mother, mother and father and you're going to become basically one flesh. You're going to be united. And that goes beyond just the vows that that involves the sexual union and that this is ultimately a picture in verse 32 of Christ and the church. Okay, well, if the union of the man and the woman is a picture of Christ and the church, do we just, do we push it all the way down? Like, do we take this metaphor and take it all the way to the very sexual act itself? Or do we just kind of step back and go, no, Paul's just saying, hey, this union between a man and a woman is a picture of Christ and the church. We don't have to take it all the way down and go, hey, it's the sexual act. And in the sexual act, the man, while he's showing generosity and the woman, she's showing hospitality. I mean, do we take it that far? I mean, I think that's a good question that we have to ask. He So he goes on, he describes the man's role in the sexual act as generosity, and the woman's role is one of hospitality. Butler writes, and I quote, at a deeper level, generosity is giving not just your resources, but your very self. And what deeper form of self-giving is there than the sexual union where the husband pours out his very presence, not only upon, but within his wife? I mean, they're being very descriptive here, being very descriptive. All right, let me read that again. This, I, and I have to, I mean, we just got to deal with this because it seems to be the, the issue right now. And, and, I, and I think really what we're going to get into here. So, so before I read that, because again, just reading this is going to shock some people and offend some people. And, and we, we, we have to at least consider a couple of things. First, let's just be, we just got to be blunt and honest here. Anytime anyone within Christianity mentions or talks about sex, there's always controversy and people get offended. It's that simple. If a preacher preaches anything about sex, someone's going to get offended. All, all Christians really seem to be comfortable with is sermons that say, don't have sex until you're married, only have sex with this. Like that, like it, uh, anything that's condemning wrong sex, church churches seem to be okay with. Anything that talks about lots of other things related to sex, the, the people in the church get very uncomfortable. I think we can agree with that. I think we can agree with that. So the fact that he's even utilizing sex in this discussion is going to be controversial. But I think that what we're really looking at, I'm going to try to take a step back. Instead of following all everyone else into this controversy, I'm going to say, wait, guys, wait, wait, guys, let's stop here. Let's forget about sex for a moment. Let's just remove that. Isn't this really a question of when the Bible seems to be using a metaphor? It seems to be using an illustration is this, is this not really a question of trying to determine how far do we take that metaphor? How far do we take that illustration? Paul just seems to be saying, as a man and a woman are one, this points to Christ, their, their union points to Christ and the church. In other words, you can understand the union of a man and a woman becoming one flesh. You can understand that. Well, and that's something visible, visible. That's something tangible. You can see it. You maybe even experienced it. You've touched it. You felt it. All right. That helps you understand this. That's not tangible. You can't see Christ in the church. You can't really understand that, that union. So in a sense, scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is giving us something tangible 
to understand that which is not tangible, to, to something seen to help us understand that which isn't seen. How far do we take that metaphor? This art- article, the original article written uh, uh, that was posted at the Gospel Coalition, they seem to take this, uh, the, uh, the author took this to, it seemed like, as much as far as he could take it with as much detail as possible. Do you think that's acceptable or do you think that's the problem? So again, let me, I'm going to step back, read the sentence that leads to the next, the next paragraph. And again, you may feel some of this is graphic, but I'm just reading this. All right, here we go. Butler goes on to describe the man's role in the sexual act as one of generosity and the woman's role as one of hospitality. Butler writes, at a deeper level, Generosity is giving not just your resources, but your very self. And what deeper form of self-giving is there than sexual union where the husband pours out his very presence, not only upon, but within his wife? Here again, what deeper form of hospitality is there than the sexual union where the wife welcomes her husband into the sanctuary of her very self? Now, the question is, do I need to take it, uh, do I need to take it to that level to understand what Paul's trying to say? Someone in the uh, chat just said, the issue being, is there any real basis for taking it that far? Okay, good. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Someone helped clarify what I was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. That's really like, do we need to take it this far? See, everyone's going to start arguing and fighting about, ooh, the Gospel Coalition is, is they're talking about sex and, and this is horrible and this is scandalous. And I'm trying to go, guys, 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 stop, stop. This is, this is a bigger, this is a hermeneutical issue. Because constantly in the Bible, we're confronted with these like illustrations or metaphors or, or allegorical kind of language. How far do you take it? Same thing with the parables, right? Do you, when you go through the parables, do you try to find ever, okay, this represents this, this represents, or do you just step back and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's the main point of the parable? I don't have to try to make everything fit perfectly. Okay, wait a minute. Does this wait? Does this point to this? Does this does this point to and 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 because people go crazy with those kinds of things. I think in some cases when you're when you have parable kind of language, metaphorical kind of language, allegorical kind of language, you just have to sometimes stop and say, what is this pointing to? What is just the main point here? The main point is, as the husband and wife, there's a union, right? They become one flesh. This points to Christ and the church. There's a unity between Christ and the church. That, should we just leave it there? I mean, he's going very, 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 very descriptive here. I mean, very almost explicit in a certain way. I mean, we just read this again and you just tell me, is this necessary or is this just taking it way too far? Now, now you could argue, you could argue I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to flip this around now and try to make a, a counter argument. You could argue that in a roundabout way, what he's really doing is he's not trying to use this metaphor to point to Christ in the church. He wants to use, in a sense, the metaphor, the allegory of Christ in the church to make us think differently about sex. That's what it kind of feels like to me. I'm not saying that that's what he intended to do, but it's, it, in some ways, it's kind of, I think, what happens is he wanting us to really see Christ in the church 
Or is he really wanting us to see the sexual union as something spiritual transcendent that points to this great spiritual reality? And so we should see our sexual relationship in a spiritual way. Is he trying to change our perception of sex? Now, I haven't read his entire book, so I don't know which way he's going to go. So let me back this up again. And I know I'm keep repeating the same section, but because this is where a lot of the controversy is. All right, so here we go. Now, again, he says the gospel bombshell is that sex is an icon of salvation. He goes on to describe the man's role in the sexual act as one of generosity, the woman's role as one of hospitality. At a deeper level, generosity is giving not just your resources, but your very self. And what deeper form of self-giving is there than sexual union where the husband pours out his very presence, not only upon, but within his wife. Here again, what deeper form of hospitality is there than sexual union where the wife welcomes her husband into the sanctuary of her very self? I mean, that's getting explicitly descriptive. I don't think there's any way around that. But is he wanting us to see, is he wanting us to be pointed to Christ in the church or is he wanting us to be focusing on the sexual act? He says, on that honeymoon, now I'm, re- I'm reading directly from this, on that, wow, okay. Okay, this is about to get this is about to get some somewhat explicit. So you're just going to have to stay with me because we're trying to figure out what in the world's going on here and how we should understand this. All right, here we go. On that honeymoon, the groom goes into his bride. He is not only with his beloved, but within his beloved. He enters the sanctuary of his spouse where he pours out his deepest presence and bestows an offering, a gift a sign of his pilgrimage that has the potential to grow within her into new life. Butler goes on to describe arguing that this is a picture of the gospel. Christ arrives in salvation to be not only with the church, but within his church. Now I'm going to, I'm going to read what's next. I'm going to read what's next. So please don't get offended. I'm just letting you know what, what everyone's talking about right now. Here we go. I quote, this is in quotations, Christ penetrates his church with the generative seed of his word and the life-giving presence of his spirit, which takes root within her and grows to bring new life into the world. Butler muses, uh, inversely back in the wedding suite, the bride embraces her most intimate guest, on the threshold of her dwelling place and welcomes him into the sanctuary of her very self. She gladly receives the warmth of his presence and accepts the sacrificial offering he bestows upon the altar within her most holy place. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Okay. Um, Okay, okay, someone just is making a good point. Not only is this con- completely unnecessary, but what about anyone with an extremely different perspective of sex, maybe due to life circumstances? This is uh, potentially a very harmful analogy. Uh, psychologically, this could be extremely damaging to the comfort of Christ, not a fan at all, okay? And I, I definitely can understand that. I, I don't know how a lot of people are going to perceive this, And I think it could be damaging. 
Because in a roundabout way, I mean, how do you, how do you take this? I'm going to continue to read the article in a minute, but let, try to just stay with me and see if I can make sense of this. Like, as I'm trying to process this, and when I first read the article, like I said, I just kind of, I didn't give it that much thought. I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, I, I saved it. Like, look, we need to talk about it because I knew that it was obviously offering something, but maybe I was too busy reading other things. Maybe I wasn't giving it the time that I should. I probably should have seen this and go, oh boy, this is going to be, this is going to create some controversy. But for some reason, it didn't click with me at the moment. All right. But now that we're here, let's try to figure this out. At least from the excerpts that they've given, and I haven't went and read the entire first chapter of the book, but they're giving us a lot of excerpts here. I don't know, and I don't know what the author's original intent, maybe the author's original intent really is, hey, I'm going to point to Christ and the church. I'm real, I'm, that's what I'm really trying to do. But it seems like what he's, so I guess I should state it this way. Is he really trying to point us to Christ and the church to give us a more, a better understanding of what that means? Or is he simply using Christ and the church really to get us to talk about sex in a very different way? What is the real goal here? What is, what is the author's goal? And what is the real goal of Ephesians 5? Is the real goal of Ephesians 5 to help us understand the Christ and the church? Or is the goal of Ephesians 5 to help us understand marriage? Or is it there to help us understand both? In other words, is there a way that we are to take this metaphor in Ephesians 5 and grow in a better understanding of Christ and the church, but at the same time grow in a better understanding of physical physical intimacy within marriage like how how are we are we to draw do we need help with both but i think it could put undue pressure it's like so so what do you, how are you supposed to how how far are you supposed to take this metaphor right like like i mean i mean i've got I, there's there's no really an easy way to talk about any of this, is there, right? Like, are you saying that basically every time the sexual union occurs within marriage, it has to be like he's describing that, or or it, you don't have to verbalize it, but you're supposed to have this, place this pressure on yourselves that, hey, we're getting ready to be physically intimate, and this is a picture of Christ and the church. Like, are we really like to take it that far? Like, it, what if it doesn't like... <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's so, it feels like, ugh, there's a little bit of me going, I don't know about this. I mean, I mean, listen to those two paragraphs again. I mean, how do you, how does it make you feel that on the honeymoon, the groom goes into his bride? He's not only with his beloved, but within his beloved. He enters the sanctuary of his spouse where he pours out his deepest presence and bestows an offering, a gift, a sign of his pilgrimage that he, that has the potential to grow within her into a new life. Butler goes on to describe arguing that this is a picture of the gospel. Now, and then, so now, so he takes this very intimate moment in the honeymoon suite, right? Now he says, Christ arrives in salvation to be not only with this church, but to be within the church. So taking the very physical intimacy of a man and a woman in the honeymoon suite to now see it's the same with Christ. He's not only with the church, he's within the church. And then he gets very descriptive here, almost explicit. Listen to how this is described. I mean, I don't know 
How do you process this? Christ penetrates his church with the generative seed of his word and the life-giving presence of his spirit, which takes root within her and grows to bring new life into the world. Inversely, back in the wedding suite, the bride embraces her most intimate guest on the threshold of her dwelling place and welcomes him into the sanctuary of her very self. She gladly receives the warmth of her presence and accepts the sacrificial offering he bestows upon the altar within her most holy place. Their union brings forth new creation, Butler concludes, referring both to the union between a husband and wife and the union between Christ and the church. While Butler's article, as well as his book, represents a broader effort on the part of the Keller Center to provide a positive vision for the Christian sexual ethic in the face of changing norms and divergent sexual ideologies, many readers felt the metaphor set forth by Butler missed the mark. In particular, some took exception with Butler describing the presence of Christ as being poured upon and within the church through the use of sexual metaphor, as well as the use of terminology of penetration and depicting the generative seed of the scriptures and the Holy Spirit given to the church. Some question why the editors did not advise against these words and metaphor choices. Scholar and theologian Anthony Bradley said that Butler clearly uh, theologically exchanges marriage for Okay, hang on, hang on. Let me read this again. Scholar and theologian Anthony Bradley said that Butler, and I quote, clearly, clearly theologically exchanged marriage for sex, creating a hermeneutical fatal flaw. The post is poor exegesis of mystical, sacred eroticism. So that, that, that's interesting. So they say that he exchanges marriage for sex, creating a hermeneutical fatal flaw. In other words, he's reducing marriage simply to sex, right? Uh, okay, that's a good point. Someone says, but you, 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 could, you could describe any sex just like this. You, yeah, you could. So would any sex fit the metaphor? And of course they would say, well, it couldn't because it has to be a husband and wife, but it, yeah. But here, I think I, I think I see what this theologian is saying is that basically the article exchanges marriage for sex. In other words, the the a husband and woman, a, a man and a woman, husband and wife becoming one flesh. He's just reducing that to just mere sex. So he's basically turned marriage into nothing more than sex. That's all marriage is is sex. The only reason you're married is so that you can have sex, which pictures Christ in the church. That's that's kind of what they're saying. He he is, in a sense, he's he's committed a hermeneutical flaw and that it's poor exegesis for mystical sacred eroticism. All right, there's one more page here. Um, and it's not long, so we'll try to go through this quickly. In the Bible, the theological metaphor for the gospel is marriage, not sex, according to this theologian. Bradley continued, the sexual act itself is a part of marriage. Uh, but Butler seems to get the sub, uh, he seems to get it backwards. Uh, we'll see what he does in the entire book. So in other words, they're saying, look, in the Bible, it's marriage is the metaphor, not sex. Sex is a part of it. Butler seems to be like, no, no, no. Sex is the metaphor. So is it marriage or is it sex? The, the, the author of the book, all right, 
Butler seems to seems to have saying no, it's sex. Now that's a good question. When we read Ephesians five, what is this become one flesh? Is that sex or is that just the union of marriage? Uh, I really think that uh, the Gospel Coalition should do some self reflection about why they thought that article was okay to publish. Uh, tweeted a uh, Beth Allison Barr, author of Making of biblical womanhood and professor of history. It reveals so much that is deeply wrong with the idea that, that many have about the ideas about women, that they perceive women as passive sex objects and men as sexual overlords. And, and she is condemning complementarians who, and their views on women. Now you can get into the egalitarian, complementarian uh, views on men and women, what men and women can. And she's saying that this article really reflects kind of a, a the complementarian idea that she obviously disagrees with, and that it basically in this metaphor, the woman is viewed as a passive sex object, and men as the sexual overlord. I, I I can see why one could possibly perceive it from that direction. By all means, it's very it's it's very okay to not over spiritualize the mechanics of sexual intercourse. Actually, uh, tweeted uh, Zachary Wagner, author of Non Toxic Masculinity: Recovering Healthy Healthy Male Sexuality, and director of the Center for Pastor Theologians. It's okay to let sex. Be sex. Yes, God created it. It's a part of humanity. And because of that, sex is not shameful or dirty, even if you're not thinking about Jesus when you're doing it. Okay, well, that's that's true. Like, uh, is it okay for sex just to be sex? Or does it have to be like, okay, now what we're getting ready to do is we're about to picture Christ's union with the church. Like, it, it, we, it, I, there, there's a lot of uh, stuff going on with this. They go on to say, uh, Wagner later wrote in an article, uh, if we aren't careful when using this metaphor, we might find that our way of speaking about sex and God become like our vision of sex in general, male-centered and dehumanizing. All right, so this person is, is worried about this. For instance, oh boy. Okay, now some of this is going to get very, this is going to get very, uh, I'm going to just read it. We've made it this far. We've made it this far. So we're just going to go ahead and finish this, all right? So some of this is going to get graphic. So here we go. For instance, too many Christian theologies of sex fixate on the significance, and I'm going to kind of change some of the language here. For instance, too many Christian the theologies of sex fixate on the significance of the male being satisfied and the life-giving power of the man's seed. Too many Christian theologies of sex reduce women to their potential to receive the man's seed and create a child. Wagner argued, also pointing out the prevalence of sexual violence in Christian communities. So could this metaphor... And could some of the theology people, because look, I know people don't want to believe this, but everyone has a theology of sex. You somehow take your, you, you, you view sex somehow from a biblical, you, 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 your views on sex have some connection with how you believe about Bible, God, and Christianity. So in a roundabout way, you have a theology of sex. Whatever it is, you have a theology of sex. You may not articulate it that way, but you do. And so can that, uh, 
I mean, and, and it, this is always, this is always the issue within Christianity or the church. Whenever you are dealing with something in scripture, when you're dealing with passages about marriage or you're dealing with passages that may deal with sex, so many times trying to describe it or explain it, the pastor in his mind may be thinking one way, but you don't know how the people are receiving it or perceiving it. Because the thing is, nobody's going to want to come up afterwards and go, so pastor, I got these questions about sex because that's going to be an uncomfortable talk. So everyone just kind of leaves and so how does the man perceive, like, if they were to read this, how do they perceive this? Like, do they go, yeah, see, yeah. Do they, 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 do they think of it one way where the woman's like, oh my goodness, what did we just hear? I, I hate this. This makes it feel, this is like, this is just wrong. How, how, how is it going to be perceived? I think there's, I think there's a question here. And, and why, why is there a, a, a a prevalence of sexual violence in Christian communities. What, what has happened within Christianity to lead to a prevalence of, of sexual abuse within Christian communities? What do you think leads to that? Right? I mean, well, I, are we not kind of getting back to, have we reduced, is the problem? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to connect this to yesterday's broadcast. Is this a problem where we've all, we've reduced sex to mere morality and we've never really and and whenever we try to bring in theology to it we've looked at it from such a moral perspective that we don't know how to bring in theology in a way that's actually helpful and we only use theology really to continue to focus on the morality is this a, is this an attempt to try to look at it from a different perspective but fails miserably I don't know there's a lot of things we could discuss here they go on to say it's not out of bounds per se to connect sex to the Christ church relationship, but we should remember that sex doesn't need to be over-spiritualized for it to be a, a created good. Wagner went on to write, sometimes we can just let sex be sex because sometimes the way we connect sex to salvation may reveal more than anything else, the church's unhealthy preoccupation with sex. Now the church does have a ve very unhealthy preoccupation with it. I mean, we know that. I mean, come on, let's just be honest. You can commit any sin basically on earth and you're okay. But if it's a sexual sin, if you, I mean, I mean, like, look, people, people can come into a prayer meeting. We know this. People can come into a prayer meeting and go, look, I've been struggling with gossip. I've been struggling with slander. I've been, I've been uh, struggling with hate. I've been struggling with unforgiveness. I've been struggling with gluttony. I've been struggling with slothfulness. I've been struggling with hatred. I've been struggling with anger. I've been struggling with wrath. I mean, you can just list them all. People are like, oh, brother or sister, we'll pray for you. Oh, oh, you know, we're so sorry you're struggling. We're going through the, we're so struggling. But if you were to sit down in that same prayer meeting and go, hey guys, everyone, uh, last night, um, I, man, I, my mind was nothing but on sex and I was thinking this and I was thinking that and everybody be like, oh, down with the heathen, crucify, crucify, crucify. So do, so do we have an unhealthy preoccupation with it and a preoccupation with it that all we can see is how scandalous it is or you could argue that some have gone the other way and all they ever want to do is talk about it. I, I don't know. This is raising a lot of issues. And we're almost to the very end. 
while the while the Gospel Coalition posted a link to Butler's article on Twitter, that tweet has now been deleted following the backlash. In addition to the, his forthcoming book, Butler is also leading a, a learning cohort through the Keller Center, which will last seven weeks uh, and center on the topic of the beauty of the Christian sexual ethic. Now, I don't know if that teaching and that seven-week thing is going to be made available, but obviously the Gospel Coalition right now probably is having meetings going, what did we just step into? We've walked into some serious controversy. Now, the, like I said, you can go read the chapter of the whole of the book. I would, I would recommend, in fact, I'm going to tell you how to get there really quick because I want everyone to do this. Because here's the thing, the last thing we need as people jumping to conclusions based off one podcast episode. All right. Uh, okay. Okay. All right. Good. All right. I'm, I'm reading, uh, I'm reading some uh, comments here. Uh, I can't disagree with anything they're saying about it. I agree. That's what this does. Okay. I, I, I'm glad, I'm glad there's, I, I, I wanted as many different perspectives here as possible trying to work through this. Right. I did. I didn't want to come at this with, Hey guys, here's what I think. I wanted to kind of struggle through it and talk about it and try to, I'm, try, I'm trying to look at it from both sides. I'm trying to understand, like there's a part of me that I still feel this is a hermeneutical issue, right? That this is like, how far do you take these metaphors? I still, but now that we've gotten deeper into the article and the more explicit it gets, I'm like, as much as he may be claiming that he's trying to point to Christ and the church, I think he's really trying to change the way we are to view sex. And then as the article and as someone in the comments is saying, I think that maybe it actually could lead to a very harmful and messed up way of viewing sex that could be actually damaging and could possibly create a situation where I think the woman would suffer. Yeah, that, this raises some serious issues. All right, but let me go back to the Gospel Coalition website. And I would challenge everyone to do this, all right? If you go back to the, if you go to the gospelcoalition.org, the gospelcoalition.org, the gospelcoalition.org, please go there today, the gospelcoalition.org. When you do, uh, go, you have to scroll down almost to the bottom, They've definitely, they definitely have kind of removed everything, right? They've kind of removed everything. They deleted the tweet. And in some ways, I think they're kind of retreating a little bit. But the good thing they did is right now where it says most read, it says beautiful union book, beautiful union book. Click on that beautiful union book. And then there is, you can download and read the entire introduction and the first chapter if you read that, if you read the introduction and you read the first chapter, email me today, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, and tell me exactly what you think about it. If there's excerpts from it, cut and paste, say, whoa, what is this? Hey, can you talk about this paragraph? What, Whatever questions, thought, and we will, we will return to this at some point. But this is like, this raises so many issues. And I, and I hope that, I know I've, this is supposed to be 15 minutes and I've almost gone an hour, but that's okay. There's no way I could cover this in 15 minutes, but it, I mean, this is the first thing I was focusing on today. So I'm just making it your focus for the rest of the day. 
how do you, how, how should we handle this? This raises some serious, serious, serious issues. We'll see what we take it. But please go read this and let me know what you think. But I would challenge you this. This is the one thing I will challenge you on. Whenever you're reading your Bible and it's using allegorical, metaphorical language, it's using a language you would find in a parable, be careful how far you push the analogy, how far you push the metaphor. Because if you push it too far, it just becomes it becomes something other than what was intended. It becomes something other. And then you've got to be very careful what you do with that. All right, I'm going to stop right there. All right, you can email me today, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. There you go. There's already, I don't even know how many YouTube videos are already out there about different, you know, Christian podcasts and, and, and YouTube channels talking about this. Uh, I know there's articles all over the place that have popped up. Like I said, I've received emails about it. So that's why we had to discuss it. I would love to get your thoughts and opinions on all of it. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That is your today's focus. For Friday, March the 3rd, 2023.